0: Yimin Shu, welcome to the Investing Experts Podcast here on Seeking Alpha. For those who know you from Seeking Alpha, for those who know you from Sestrian Capital, uh, I know that a lot of people are going to be excited to hear what you have to say. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Irina. It's a pleasure, to, and I'm very excited to join you today.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you. We had, I was just mentioning that we had. Danielle DiMartino Booth on the show, talking about the macro picture, and that's your focus as well. So I think nice to get a couple of viewpoints on what's happening out there in the markets. How are you looking at the markets? You know, a lot of talk about the Fed always, and particularly recently about rate cuts maybe not happening in the first part of the year. How are you looking at things as as broad and as specific as you want to get?
1: Uh, no problem, Rina. So uh, a little bit about my own background first. So I was an tr- uh, interest rate trader uh, in London, and I focused on the US uh, and the Canadian interest rate swaps. Um, so I, I really spent a long time studying the Fed and how they were going to react given a uh, particular set of data and the way they're looking and projecting into the future. So something very interesting happened in the past three months. Uh, In December, we had a mini pivot from the Fed. The house in December certainly looked very dovish. Um, His speech was almost like a victory lap, like our job is nearly done. We're ready to uh, start start the easing cycle. But then something something else happened in January. He didn't sound as certain anymore. Um, And before the January meeting, the market was pricing six to seven cuts this year uh, for the f- FOMC, which was certainly aggressive. I did think that was quite aggressively priced by the market but after the meeting now we've paired back the market really only expects four uh four cuts this year um, the March in March that's, there's not going to be a cut anymore and even the May cut is now in danger. there's only the market is only seeing f- about 40 percent chance of a May cut but uh, a full cut by uh, end of June. So so this is quite a big pivot from the, what, the sentiment of December. And I think fundamentally it's because we are seeing a resurgence of hot data in both the labor market and in inflation. Just give you a, a, a rough picture. So the non-farm payrolls, we added th- more than 300,000 jobs Twice in a row right that is very very strong and that doesn't really um that, that's quite a strong picture given we've hiked f- uh, five percentage points in the fed funds rates um so the labor market is very tight um the unemployment rate is 3.7 percent so we're pretty much uh, still at maximum employment if you wanted a job you can still get one um and i think a lot of people have been reading the headlines saying oh the tech sector is laying off thousands of people but actually overall the, the labor market is very steady and then when it comes to inflation last month uh, last week we saw the january uh, cpi figures being very strong again um the, you know the headline and the core figures come out at 3.1% and 3.9% year on year and it's been around those levels for uh four months now so it's becoming very sticky and i think there's a sense that the you know going from six to four percent that was a relatively easy job now from four percent to two percent it's getting much harder right um the PCE has been much better um it's given the fed a much easier job on hand because the PCE tends to be a full percentage point below the cpi um, and that's b- because of the difference in the weighting components. Uh, rent is a much much smaller component in the PCE, and a much bigger component in the CPI. So uh, PCE has been okay, been heading towards the two percent market uh, target. So the core PCE is at two point nine percent, but still, like there is a worry that in the hot CPI figure and the PPI figure earlier in the month uh, could spill over into PCE. So there has been a rapid shift in sentiment, given the back-to-back hot labour market readings and then the strong inflation readings, and we're now at a point where we're less. Uh, the Fed is much less enthusiastic about cutting rates early. They don't want the inflation to come back. They really want the inflation job to be completely done, um, and uh, before they can move on.
0: Appreciate that color. Um, in terms of the employ- unemployment data or the employment data specifically, yeah. something that we were talking about with Danielle on that episode was the notion of whether that data is trustworthy, whether economic data coming out, including CPI, is trustworthy in general. And she was mentioning that the she felt like the unemployment data is the most manipulated that there's too many aberrations to be able to account for. What are your thoughts on the value and the uh, kind of truthfulness behind specifically the employment data, and if you also want to get into CPI as well and and other data releases?
1: I think if we start with the CPI first, because I think um, the CPI, the hot CPI data we saw recently, that could have been a one-off. Um, and, uh, and this is because we just started the beginning of the year and a lot of businesses would want to reset the price hike for the new year in one go rather than spreading it out into little price hikes throughout the year. So, for example, a restaurant could easily just raise the menu price by 10% in January and be done with it for the rest of the year. So, there are some seasonality factors for, or the year beginning factors that's not. Being accounted for in this traditional seasonality calculations so i think it's worthwhile waiting for the february and even the march data to see whether that's true and whether the half cpi was a one-off this month but it has been quite sticky in the past four months like i mentioned just now so it is a a, a could i think the fed just needs more confidence Uh, in seeing the number going down a bit more and not settle at a range way above the target range. As for the employment, I think um, the numbers have been very strong, but we have had a very tight labour market since COVID, and that's for a few reasons. A lot of people dropped out of the labour force after COVID, we had uh, fewer immigration numbers as well. And so there's a general lack of supply in the labor market compared to the demand. And if you actually look at the GDP growth, um, GDP was growing 3.3% in the last quarter, and now it's on track to uh, 2.5% this quarter. It's been very, very strong, right? It's not The strength is not associated with what you would expect at the peak of a rate Um, at at the rate hiking cycle right so I don't think um, that uh, I don't think I think the labor market data are very strong but I don't think they're unexpected and it could take a while and even looking at the wage growth uh, that's been very strong as well Uh, it translates to over four percent year on year Um, so I think there is still a general labor shortage uh, even if it's many let's say, manipulated, uh, quote, unquote, it wouldn't be way above the true picture, I think. So I actually do believe in a strong picture painted by the strong labor market.
0: And what are your thoughts on the retail picture in terms of how it relates to the economy and what it says about what's going on and maybe how that matches up with the broad earnings releases? I don't know if that's something that you look at broadly in terms of What's coming, or broadly, what companies are forecasting? What are your thoughts on the retail picture?
1: So, I think retail. I think for the retail side, it can be there can be a lot more noise uh, going on, depending on the seasonality, especially given going up to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and now coming down to the uh, early in the year. So, I I feel like that the the retail figures wouldn't be as reliable um, month on month or even uh, month on month. So I think I think it's it's much better to look at the inflation data, so the CPR and PCEs. Uh, and ultimately that's what the Fed is focusing on, uh, especially the PCE data. Um, so, so And at the moment, I do still feel that uh, the activities are quite strong. Um, there's a sense of And I think the Fed almost wanted to engineer a mini. Well, well, the Fed obviously wants a soft landing, but I think they didn't mind that we had a mini recession, if we can bring back uh, inflation back down, right? So I do feel like these are the figures we should focus on, and uh, and so far the data have defied gravity almost, which is not actually necessarily a bad thing. And I think I want to come to onto this point now where um a lot of investors are worried that you know strong data means the fed is not going to cut anytime soon and therefore that's bad for the equities market but actually historically speaking and if you look at the past easing cycles there had been one time in 1995 where the gdp was growing very smoothly it's come, it came down slightly from 1994 but it was still very strong the Fed was slightly worried about inflation, which was coming down from high seven, uh, you know, high figures in the early '90s. But actually, they they were willing to wait for the soft inflation and for uh, sorry for the soft landing and for the inflation data to come down and cut much later than the market uh, than what you would expect. And what happened was that equity market rallied because uh, because this a good economy. Which translate into stronger earnings, and it doesn't all is not always a bad thing. When we see aggressive Fed cuts, it sometimes means that it's driven by recessionary fears, which translates to slower growth and slower earnings. That's not always a good thing for the equities market. Uh, so I think at this point in time, good news is actually good news at this moment, it's only when the Fed is really actually starting to cut too late and we're seeing bad data coming our way without the Fed doing something drastic about it, that we should begin to worry. So that's that's kind of my feel for the macro at the moment. So actually, I'm quite optimistic.
0: And how would you relate that to what's going on in the bond market and how you feel investors should be thinking about the bond market and positioned? in in that part of the in that part of the market
1: so so at the beginning of the year the bond market priced in uh seven price cuts uh sorry seven rate cuts for 2024 and that was way too aggressive but i actually understood why that was the case there was actually a rationale for it and the reason being that if you look at the real interest rate which is uh, even if the fed doesn't do anything the real interest rate goes up if inflation goes down, and if the inflation moves towards 2.5 percent, uh, to 2.4 percent, um, by the end of the year, as the Fed projected, uh, in the December FOMC. And if you give or take one to one and a half percentage points for the neutral rate, real neutral rate, that gives us a four percent target in the nominal rate for you know for the market being neutral, and we're at you know uh, the effective fed funds rate today is 5.33 percent. so that's a, so to get to neutral rate we're actually only six cuts away right so there is a rationale for it and uh, the market was optimistic that inflation will come down smoothly we get to the pce target and the Fed should ease accordingly to get to the neutral rate but now it's clear that inflation is a bit stickier and the final bit of inflation always takes a bit longer than the, than the market expects. So we're pricing in four four rate, uh, rate cuts this year. So I actually think three to four rate cuts is about right, is about the equilibrium. If we go below three, then that's probably too few. If we go above four, that's probably too many. And that's only because inflation could be just a bit stickier than what the investors expected at the end of last year. So I think at, right now, the bond market is in a good equilibrium. On the margin, I would be a buyer here only because I don't think inflation would come back strongly. and so so in the longer term the yield the yield curve should, should normalize and we should get steady rate cuts in the next two years. So so I'm on the margin, I think buying bonds here is not bad. I don't think we can get to you know just one or two cuts for this year. Currently, three to four cuts this year is about fair.
0: And in terms of the treasury market, and if you feel like there's worthy investments there for investors, any thoughts there?
1: So I think I think for a long time everyone's really worried that the the timing of the QT clashing with the treasury issuances to boost the treasury general accounts i.e. the u.s treasury holding money would actually dampen the treasury demand uh which actually had been the case for a, uh for the most part of last year and uh and if you look at it, every time when the treasury you know does the bond issuance the yield the bond yields always go up because uh because the fed is not really um a buy on the margin anymore compared to you know the previous two years but actually i think now because we, we the investors understand the way the path forward is the easing cycle and um you know the 10-year at 4.25 percent today is still relatively attractive uh given where the yields will go uh in the in the future so i do think the the longer term yield, I think, the yield curve is is um, quite offers quite a good value at the moment uh, if you're a long term investor. And what's also interesting is that a lot of banks uh, had been burnt on the way up to the uh, in the rate cycle. What I mean is that if you look at the regional banking crisis last year, the regional banks locked in ten year yields at let's say two percent, and the Fed hiked aggressively um and the bond portfolios essentially dropped right in terms of value and bank you know silicon valley bank has gone bust but even bank of america uh, has suffered a lot in terms of the portfolio value now on the way down this could be a good thing you know for banks who have held a lot of bonds when uh, when they bought bought the bonds two years ago um holding to maturity now the valuations are going up as we cut interest rate and the bond prices go up. So I think on the margin, I'm a buyer here. I think across the curve, the curve is not that's it is obviously inverted right now, but it's also a kind of flat. um And I think um you know, I think buying the I think the ten year, I would prefer the ten year to the short shoulder term shoulder term uh trades because uh, j- just because. Uh, we are the 10 years still pricing in a very high, um, no, relatively high steady inflation not going, for, going forward and a fairly high neutral rate above uh, on top of that. So I think that could be, you know, that could offer better value than the short term, uh, sh- than the short term of the short term side of the yield curve.
0: What are your thoughts or how does it play into how you see the broader market and the broader economy? Stretching out to the international picture and what's happening in the Red Sea and with shipping, how do you feel that affects things? And and how are you thinking about that if you are in any deep way?
1: The problem with, so for example, the the Middle East conflict and also the Russian-Ukrainian war, has been in terms of the macroeconomics has been the worry on the supply side of goods and, and as, as well as oil prices. Um, so and these are two, slightly two separate components. So I will just tackle tackle the first bit first. When we think about inflation, inflation are driven by both demand side and supply side factors, and a shortage of supply would it imply that uh, would have uh, you know upward pressure on inflation uh, because goods become more scarce, the prices go up. And there's a very good supply chain pressure index uh, published by the New York Fed each month, which essentially tracks how much uh, global supply chain is being interrupted or disrupted by events going on from, for example, the Middle East or the Ukrainian war and what we have seen is that towards the end of last year that pressure had dropped off significantly which eased the supply side pressure of inflation it's now ticking back up but only still around the, the historical average at the moment there hasn't been i'm not on um, alert for uh, inf- inflation spike because of the supply-side pressure. It seems to be bouncing up and down around the normal historical range. I think obviously when that pressure ticks up, it's definitely worth watching for. But I think that it's quite tricky because the Fed interest rate decisions or monetary policy decisions can't really affect the supply-side things. What the Fed can really target is on the demand side of things, right? Tightening the, bo- uh, lending, uh, you know, tightening the lending conditions, uh, so banks don't lend out to businesses as much and um trying to curb prices and demand but it can't the po- monetary policy can't really affect the supply side of things but luckily we don't see uh, issues yet um even though we're seeing a lot of news headlines that i don't see a concern and on the other side is the commodity side uh, which is oil and uh, i think a lot of the uh, you know big hedge funds had a position for a big oil rally last year and at the beginning of this year but that rally hadn't manifested at all you know the wti still has in, in the mid 70s so it kind of tells me two things first is that you know maybe the supply chain isn't as interrupted which is what, what i just mentioned but secondly maybe the market doesn't really think there is going to be a huge demand for oil uh, at the same time because of economic economic reasons and that gives me a slight discomfort about the potential recession uh, recessionary fears so i think this is like more like an early indicator that we could still get a re- recession and therefore not a soft landing but it's just one fact, early factor amount money that we have to watch. So neither the supply chain nor the oil uh, side of things give me huge comfort right now. But we we definitely need to watch that.
0: So speaking of the international picture, you're talking to us from the UK. What are your thoughts? If you'd like to share, what's happening in the UK? What's happening as as broadly international as you care to go?
1: The UK has definitely not, uh, and I think internationally, countries outside the US just have not done as well as they have done compared with the US. And you can see that uh, see that through the stock market, through the GDP. And I think this is because the US enjoys a very, very special position that its is monetary policy has a huge impact around the globe to its own benefit. So for example, we expected China to reopen last year and give us some sort of international boost and a lot of people you know wanted uh, you know were really bullish on the Chinese market but actually if anything the Chinese market is in the bear market right now all the foreign capital have recognized that you know the developer the U.S. is much safer haven and the much better gro- growth prospect than the chinese market here in the uk inflation is still steady uh, s- still quite high uh but i think the central bank has just come around to th- thinking that we are we we have everything under control and we could st- think about cutting soon but i think UK and the ecb have been holding quite steady uh what i did notice that is that when the us goes other countries do tend to follow and there is a great global synchronization of countries following each other in terms of the cutting cycle and hiking cycles and no one wants to be left behind in a particular cycle and i think in some ways the u.s is forcing other countries hand in this so we, i think we will see rate cuts in the uk and europe uh, at some point not long after the fed um But, you know, we are still talking about some way to go because the Fed even hasn't started yet.
0: Given everything that we've discussed and the macro picture, how would you articulate to investors where they should be allocating their money In, in specific sectors, if you want to get specific with stocks or ETFs? But broadly speaking, or specifically speaking, how would you advise or articulate where you think it's wise to have your money? right now? Right now and also kind of even down the line this year?
1: I think we need to adopt a fairly nuanced approach uh, to investing in this very environment. I still think uh, stocks will have a very good year. Uh, I mean, we had a relentless rally since November. So in terms of the current timing, we could see a slight breather in terms of retrace, market retracement. If, like I said before, if we're in a similar territory to 1995, where the Fed is late to cutting because they were comfortable with the soft landing and they didn't want to get, you know, want to see the resurgence of inflation, we're well, actually not in a bad place, right? Just to give you an idea, in 1995, um, the stock market rallied by thirty-seven percent, and then another twenty and thirty percent in nineteen ninety-six and nineteen ninety-seven. So there is we're certainly not at the top yet. But in terms of the different sect of uh, growth uh, uh, types of stocks, we could look at in t- uh, within the uh, the equities market. I do think that uh, a lot of money had poured into the Magnificent Seven, and they enjoyed a very strong ride partly because of safe haven reasons, partly because the winner-take-off mentality in a difficult uh, economic environment, equities value might be a little bit too rich. What we could see is that the resurgence of the growth stocks, right? So growth, when I say growth stock, I mean, like cybersecurity stocks, uh, stocks like CrowdStrike, Zscaler, those stocks that had been hammered, uh, in the past two years, because of the uh, the rate hikes, could now suddenly look very attractive and coming back because we're now heading towards a easing cycle. The valuation could go higher from here because the risk free rate is bound to drop. Uh, the ten year treasury rate is coming heading towards a lower path because of the easing cycle, and we are in a good earning growth environment because uh, the GDP is still holding up very well. Right, so there's a lot of uh, growth factors for those uh smaller cap growth stocks that could propel them out to outperform the magnificent seven stock that we've seen lately and uh, but secondly i do think um 10-year bonds is on the margin is a buy here and it's a buy and a hold uh, even if the yields go higher in the short term i think as we head towards the easing cycle and the inflation fears died down we could see the longer-term rate heading lower from here. So I think that the bond yields are quite attractive uh, for buying here. And I also think financial stocks could potentially uh, perform quite well. And the reason I say that is that up until last year, we always held this theory that interest rates are like the prices of products for banks you know they l- lend money and the an interest rate and if that interest rate goes high because of the fed good days they have the banks have um better income but what we actually saw that not being the case because the banks invested a lot of their spare cash into the treasury market and the bond uh, the bond portfolio values have dropped significantly because the the hiking cycle and therefore, the equities haven't performed very well. And actually, if you put up the chart between the 10-year bond deal and, and let's say the Bank of American equity value, the correlation was, was negative. So now as we head towards the easing cycle, I actually think those financial stocks could start to perform better because the treasury holdings would actually start to perform. But the only caveat is that um we need to distinguish why the Fed is cutting rates. If the Fed is just dropping rates slightly towards a neutral rate because inflation is going down and it wants to put this economy into a steady state, a neutral state with steady growth, that's a good reason. And uh, that's a, that a very bullish reason for the financials. But if the Fed is suddenly starting to cut rates very aggressively because of recessionary fears, because uh, default rates are going up, then that's a bad reason. And we I wouldn't buy financial stocks because of that, because of the default rate would be going up, right? So I think there is a nuance to be had. So to summarize, I am a buyer of uh, growth stock in the you know next two or three years, 10-year bonds, and uh, financial stocks, provided that the Fed isn't cutting rates because of um, growing default rates or recession.
0: What do you think this all means for the consumer? be it in America, be it in the UK, be it broadly speaking, in terms of the data coming out, and it's looking at rentals and hotels and food prices and oil prices, just in terms of how it's not necessarily affecting, although also affecting the consumer, but how they should be thinking things are going to look in this coming year.
1: What's been interesting is that we've been expecting a, a slowdown in rental prices, that sh- hasn't quite fully manifested yet. So as the interest rate goes up, the, as the lending conditions tighten, mortgage rates go up and the housing activities should slow down, which then translate to the rental market and the rental prices should slow down as well. But, you know, in the past couple of sets of CPIs, or, I mean, even in the past year, rental ma- market has shelter costs have always been very, very hot. But I do... I do think this is a question of a time lag, and uh, in the second half of the year, the rental market should slow down much more significantly than we have seen so far. And I think if the Fed is late, too, too late to cutting, for example, if they don't even want to start cutting in June and wait until, let's say, September, we do risk inflation over or undershooting rather the target. Uh, we we've seen that the goods, uh, you know, goods prices. Um, have essentially in the deflationary deflationary or zero inflation territory. And that's been kind on consumers. Um, but that's also balanced out the, the, the services, the inflation services uh, sector. So in terms of goods, uh, the, so the goods have been on a deflationary or zero inflationary territory for the past few months. Um, and it's only been balanced by the right, the fast pace of services inflation, right? So what I would expect is that I wouldn't worry about the goods inflation at this moment. I think the job is mostly done in 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 terms of inflation in that area. But services inflation should slow down as well. Uh, you know, we we need to see a slight slowdown in the labor market in the wage earnings, which then would translate to a slowdown in the services inflation. We haven't seen that yet. The Fed hasn't seen that yet. They're, therefore, they're uncomfortable. But I would expect them to manifest in the second half of the year.
0: Appreciate that. Yemen, appreciate this conversation. People who are interested in Yemen's work and take on things, you contribute to Seeking Alpha News. You're on YouTube with Sestrian Capital Research, which, by the way, if that sounds familiar, we've had Alex King, who runs the service on a few times before Yibin, any final words or last thoughts for investors and happy for you to share anything else you'd like?
1: Yes. Uh, so thank you very much for having me today. I'm really glad I, were, uh, I was able to share my thoughts on the macro picture of the Fed. I think the point is not that we, we don't have a crystal ball to predict what exactly happens uh, in every moment in, into the future, but it's really important to establish the framework of Assessing what the Fed does and assessing how the Fed should react to new com- incoming data. It's very easy to get fearful just because the market rally has been relentless and at some point it's supposed to retrace. I do think this year, uh, I'm quite bullish this year, I do think we have many reasons to be optimistic, especially if the soft landing holds. Inflation should come back down, hopefully sooner than later. And that's not actually a bad thing. Uh, for the equities market, even if the Fed doesn't cut as soon as possible. this year will be a bit tougher than you know the end of last year when we had a relentless rally, but I'm still bullish for the next two years.
0: Any articles discussed today, you can find links to them on our show notes. And all episodes have transcripts available on Seeking Alpha. And for those wanting to follow breaking news and general news coverage of the markets, come listen with us at Wall Street Breakfast for all your market news needs.
1: Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.